Well, I would like to start by welcoming all of you basketball fans. This is one of the hardest uh, nights in terms of preaching competition in a year, and that's okay. Uh, We're glad that you're here anyway, and uh, we're looking forward to our study tonight. We are endeavoring on Sunday nights to go through this series called Unswerving, and the whole idea is especially, particularly, as we go through the Northside 90-day plan, uh, the Bible reading plan, that we have an introduction to these stories of people as we go along, certainly through the New Testament and the Gospel accounts, and even through the rest of the New Testament, these people who held on unswervingly. They, they just didn't let go. Uh, no matter what circumstances came, no matter what their story was, they held on tightly to what they believed, to the hope that they had. Our, our theme verse on Sunday nights is going to be going to be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20, verse 23. We started out the year by looking at that in context, but let's just review again what Hebrews 10:23 says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And we've already said that it's not about these people in particular. It's not even about their faith. The faith doesn't have any power. It's who they have the faith in that gives them uh, the hope that they have. And so we're looking at individual stories that their faith in a God who is faithful might inspire us and remind us that we still have that same hope in that same faithful God. Uh, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our stories. You should have on your handout a a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think helps us uh, prepare the way as we think about tonight's story. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusement is up to the common, uh, the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch us or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be the thing we should like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditures excludes them. C.S. Lewis wrote this in mere Christianity, and he wrote this with this idea in mind that charity has always been a part of the DNA of the people of God, whether it was Abram giving a tenth to Melchizedek, uh, whether it was the offerings being sacrificed under the the Levitical system, uh, whether it was the story we're going to look at tonight, or even Christians as they met together In Acts chapter 2, it says that they shared together and there was no one who had need. It's just a part of who we are. And, uh, boy, reading C.S. Lewis, man, that guy is hardcore. A character we're going to talk about tonight, uh, she wouldn't understand what it meant to have uh, any sort of entertainment any sort of uh, things that she wanted to do. Uh, She was living on nothing. There's another story of an 87-year-old woman. Her name was 
Osceola McCarthy. She grew up in Mississippi in a time of deep, deep uh, racial prejudice. Very hard time. She grew up in poverty all of her life. Even as she grew up and in her working life, it uh, partook of 12-hour days where she was doing other people's laundry. Subsequently, a woman like that is not someone you would expect to write a $150,000 check to establish a scholarship fund at the University of Southern Mississippi. What's even more amazing is that $150,000 represented 60% of her entire life savings. Everything she had, she had amassed a sum of about 250000 She wrote that check so that young women would have the opportunity to learn and be educated in a way that she was not. Asked how she did it, Osceola said she lived modestly, she saved regularly, and she gave generously. As impressive as that story is, as impressive as it was for her to save a quarter of a million dollars and to give away 150000 of that, it pales in comparison to this woman we're going to look at tonight, Luke chapter 21. Turn there if you're following along. Osceola gave away a lot of money, but even when she wrote that check, she still had $100,000 in the bank. That's not to make light of her gift in any way. It's just to compare and contrast the, the woman we're looking at tonight. Our story tonight is about a woman who... Had nothing. And I mean nothing. Everything she did have came from God, as we talked about this morning. But what she did have was so insignificant, you could hardly imagine it made a difference in the treasury. And yet that day, after her donation, she was left with nothing. She didn't have 100000 left over. She didn't have $100 left over. She didn't have 100 pennies left. She had nothing. Fully and completely, she showed her trust. Our reading this week, the story is found in day chapter 22 of the Northside 90-day reading. And you're going to look in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now, this story is also repeated in Mark 12, um, but that wasn't in one of this week's readings, so we didn't pick it. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, hopefully you're already there. Not a long story, but a a powerful, significant one. Lots of good lessons for us. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. The Greek word there, you might have a note, says two lepta. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. In terms of percentages, she went far beyond 10%. She was 100%. Even though that 100% wasn't much, it, it was something. Talk a little bit of, uh, give you a little bit of background to this 
information, we are in the timeline of Jesus' life. We're in the last week. He's already entered Jerusalem. They've already put down the palm branches and so forth. He is now having these final events, and it, it, it does not pass my notice that these, I would think, the, the last week of Jesus' life, those events of most significant, import, most significant importance that we want to highlight. I think it's not an accident that this story comes in the last week of Jesus' life. And there's not, it's not a, an accident that Jesus pointed this out and that Mark and Luke record it for our benefit. Now, in the treasury, there were, you know, in the, in the temple, there were these different uh, levels, so to speak, that you could come uh, so far for women, only this far for Gentiles, and so forth. <clears throat> Around the court of the women were these boxes that called the treasury. There were about 13 of them, according to my study. And on the top of them was this kind of metal-shaped funnel that was plugged into the hole in the box. So that's where you put your offerings. The boxes were for mandatory offerings. When you had to make an animal offering, but you didn't have the animal, you could replace it with the value of the animal in some cases. Like the temple tax... Uh, the supplies for the wooden and the incense that they would use there in the temple. And then there were some that were for the offerings for the poor. Now, we're not told which box she put into, but it would be, uh, it would be very godlike that the person to whom the, those gifts were intended would be one donating into it. Uh, purely speculation there, but we don't know for sure. But anyway, we have these 13 chests that are around the the temple there in the court of the women, and uh, this is where they are located. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, and we see this first truth. Number one, the widow was nearly invisible, but Jesus still noticed her. How are you noticed in this world? Well, you're noticed because you have a a marketable skill, you have a tremendous talent or ability, your intelligence, your achievement, your notorieties, your celebrity is one more common in this, in this culture, uh, and even your wealth. Uh, beyond those things, you don't have those things, you're probably not going to get noticed too much. Even in the church world, that's true. James warns, warned his brothers in Christ against giving too much preference to people who had means and people who were of, of worldly achievement. Not that that's bad, but just that's not what it's all about at church. Scripture says that God notices the very small things of life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to look, this is not part of the story, but it gives us an idea of the kind of mindset that Jesus had. He was always looking around for unnoticeable people. He would say to his disciples when he sent them out, chapter 10, verse 29 of Matthew, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? 
even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Certainly easy at times to think that we are insignificant, to wonder where our place in the world if we don't have a special ability, gift, or blessing. Now, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 10 and in Luke chapter 21 that that's not what it's all about. God's attitude toward orphans and widows, especially from the Old Testament and the New, uh, was absolutely watching out for those who had no one to watch out for them. The widows having no one in their family to take care of them often, the fatherless, the orphans having no one to take charge of them. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Not only does God notice the widows and the insignificant people, but Jesus Jesus noticed them as well. We remember the story of Anna the prophetess. When he was just a baby, they were bringing him to the temple, Mary and Joseph. and She was a prophetess who, who... prophesied about his significance, not just as a baby, but as a, as a human being. He resurrected the son of the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7. He told a story about a persistent widow and used that as an example of how to pray. And he rebuked the Pharisees and the teachers for not just neglecting, but abusing and taking advantage of the widows. This group of people lacked physical protection, they lacked financial provision, and they were targeted often by the wolves of society. Is that any different today? God commands us as his followers to care for orphans and widows. In fact, it's not even an option. Pure religion is this, says James in chapter 1, verse 27. To look after the widows and the orphans and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we've got to keep that at the forefront because it's the forefront of the mind of God. So God notices the widows. Jesus notices the widows of his day. And he notices this widow especially. He says, <clears throat> Jesus noticed her. Jesus saw her, depending on your translation. The word here means to look at something, not just to see them, but to really focus with interest and purpose. The only way I can describe this is, if you've ever been a large crowd of people, and you you engage in people watching, and all of a sudden someone does something strange or unusual or peculiar, that's, that's it. That's what Jesus, he took notice of this woman. The truth is, God notices you. And furthermore, we can look at this verse, this story, and understand that God notices when we give. He notices our heart of giving. He notices when you don't give. In Malachi, remember God said, these people are robbing me. How do you know that? Again, was it because God needed the money? No, absolutely not. But where your treasure is, there your heart is. He knew the people's hearts were far from him and, uh, well, just as well their money. So why does he care? 
brings us to the second point, the second truth of the story. The widow didn't give a lot, yet she gave everything. It's not about the amount. The amount was barely insignificant. I have in my hand not two lepta, but I do have small, two small copper coins. And these coins cost more to produce than they're worth. They're worth nothing. If if I drop pennies out, I'm pulling change out of my pocket. I barely think, eh, is it worth the effort to pick up? If you have your car cleaned out and uh, you're accidentally vacuuming along, and you vacuum up some pennies. Do you go through the effort to pull them out? Some of you do, I know. But what he's saying here is these these two lepta are worth nothing. Some some notes might say it's worth about an eighth of a cent. You cut one of these pennies into eight pieces, and that was the equivalent of what she had and what she gave that day. So it's not about the amount. The King James Version calls them mites. The Greek word, as we said, were leptons. Regardless of what you call them, it's pretty clear. Her portion was small. Her portion was small, but her proportion was unmatched. She gave more than a donation. She gave a sacrifice. I'm trying to think of a way to spell this out. Sunday night crowd, so we can talk. An average donation week at Northside is around $20,000. Let's assume for a second that that's the equivalent of 10% of everyone's income. Let's assume, okay? Just for sake of argument. $20,000 is 10%. So based on that ratio, it would be like one Sunday morning we pass the plates, they take all the collection trays back there, they start counting, and Greg Sandlin passes out. And, he, and when he wakes up, he comes running to, to Albert or James or one of the elders, he says, 200000 They gave 200000 That's significant. The elders would be meeting. Okay, what happened today and how can we repeat that? So I I only do that not to compare dollar-wise, but just to say we would notice such an act. When Jesus saw this woman put in a very insignificant amount and yet points it out, you understand that though the portion was small, the proportion was absolutely remarkable. We still talk about it today, 2,000 years later. Truth number three. The widow was poor, and yet she was very rich. The Greek word that Jesus uses for this Poor widow, verse 2, he saw a poor widow. The word there denotes not just poor, but extreme poverty. She likely would not have had, for them to use that word, a, a place to live, any more clothes than what she was wearing, any worldly possessions. This woman was more fit to receive donations than to give them. And yet God, 
will use a woman with nothing, who gives nothing, to remind us about the power of generosity. Isn't that beautiful? Little is much in God's hands. And we often have that so backwards. We think, boy, God could use, if we just had so much, boy, God could really use that. That's not the story of Scripture. Over and over again, you know, Gideon, you got too many men. He, he, he doesn't want us numbering the troops. And he can use two smart, very small copper coins to teach such a powerful lesson. The story, story is far more than money. It's more than that. I think money is the least significant part of this story. The story is about her 100% total, complete trust and faith in God. And imagine it. I mean, imagine if just for a visual, I had some men come in, pass the plates, and challenge everyone in here to write the biggest check they could to drain their accounts dry. That wouldn't even compare to what she did. Because you'd go home and you'd still have stuff. She didn't have a thing. After that donation... She had no more money for food, for clothing. Her next meal was completely in God's hands. Give us this day our daily bread. Did anyone pray more sincerely than she did? Her wealth was insignificant, but her treasure, oh, her treasure, her treasure was absolutely where her heart was, in the hands of her Lord. And she put her money right I guess we all do that, don't we? We all put our money where our treasure is. We all put our treasure where our heart really is. This is the last point. God fully seeks the heart. The greatest gift the widow gave was not about the money at all. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, there's this kind of verse that stuck in amongst the battle stories and until the whole context of it I just want to point this out. 2 Chronicles 16:9 says this, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Don't you know I think when Jesus went to the temple that day, it wasn't an accident that he noticed that widow. I think he was kind of looking forward to seeing her. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he was expecting her. I think he and the Father and the Spirit, whatever other celestial beings are able to engage in conversation, talked about this woman whose heart fully belong to God. Listen to these instructions from Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus said. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I don't even know if you can hear the sound of two insignificant coins dropping. I doubt very likely that anyone but Jesus himself heard those coins drop. But when he heard them, it was not a surprise to him. For he knew that more than anything, her heart was his. May we all endeavor to live up to this. To have this kind of heart that places your trust more deeply, more deeply in your Savior than in your pocketbook. More deeply in your Lord than in the balance on the accounts. May we aspire to live up to a brave woman who is wealthy beyond imagination and whose heart fully belonged to God. Next week, we'll talk about the stranger that God who knew his apostles, became unknown to them and how that affects us. Tonight, if you're here and you are not a Christian, I want to tell you that God doesn't want your money. But he has never stopped pursuing for a minute your heart. The most important gift you can give to the Lord tonight, today, any day, is your heart, your soul, your eternity. If you're not ready for eternity and you're ready to put his heart, your heart, in his hands, please come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.